All right, we've got just enough time for a five-minute message after Guillermo's uh, announcements. <laughs> All right, open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6, please. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we'll read verses 6 through 10. title of my message is Finding Contentment in a Discontented World. And this is something that the Lord has been working on my heart for about, oh, 40 years probably, <laughs> and um, has really been driving it into my heart, I'd say, more and more these past months. And so pastor asked me to speak this morning. I knew exactly what I wanted to, to speak on because the Lord has already been working on this in my life. And so I hope it's a help to you. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10 but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, piercing themselves through with many sorrows. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that this message would speak to my, my friends, our family here at Elmira Baptist Church like it has spoken to me. And Father, just um, use your word to help us to live more for you, Lord, not to, get, not to fall into the traps that the devil has for us. There are so many, and he just wants to drag us down every day, Father. And um, through the power of your spirit, may we be lifted above, may we live above the traps of the devil, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. When I was a little boy, probably about seven or eight years of age, I had a best friend. His name was Brian Knox. He lived just across the street from my house in Caldwell, Idaho. Brian and I loved to play football together. Sometimes it was just 1v1, as the boys say, and sometimes it was with other boys in the neighborhood. My house sat on the corner and had a large front yard, perfect for little boys' football games. I don't remember much about those football games except for one thing, really. Brian's shiny 49ers football helmet. You see, Brian didn't have any brothers, and he seemed to have lots of cool stuff. I was a PK. Brother Mike, where's Brother Mike at? You can identify with me, right? <laughs> I was a PK, and football helmets simply were not in the budget. But I was in luck because Brian had two football helmets. In addition to that shiny 49ers football helmet, he also had an old plain white helmet with a few scuffs on it. That was the helmet he let me use. I think he may have let me put the 49ers helmet on once, but mostly I remember watching him wear that shiny helmet and wishing I had one of my very own. A year or so later, my family moved to California, and ironically, I was just about an hour away from the San Francisco 49ers football stadium. And somehow, in spite of those feelings, I became a 49ers fan. Probably have Larry Jacobs to blame for that. We live in a very discontented world, don't we? And from little boys who want endless Fortnite skins, to big boys who have endless hobbies to fill their garages, from little girls with millions of those little LOL toys, to big girls with their closets full of, we'll just say, stuff. <laughs> the truth is, we have never had more stuff, but we have never been more discontented. 
A recent Gallup poll from this year put the percentage of Americans dissatisfied at about 85%. Discontentment may be the greatest trap in our culture today, and it knows no boundaries. Though the, through the COVID lockdowns, one man capitalized on our discontentment by sending anything you could imagine to your doorstep overnight with just a single left-hand swipe, or is it right-hand? One of the way. He became the world's richest man at the end of it. And this past week, Amazon had what it called, I have to get this right, prime big deal days. Because I guess one prime day just wasn't enough. So they had to have more. And on the first day of prime big day deals, October the 10th, this last week, Amazon on the very first day sold 25 million items. Apparently 25 million items aren't quite enough to gain the contentment that we've lost in America. <clears throat> the truth is, discontentment, discontentment really is bondage. You can't outgrow it, and you can't out-earn it. The devil keeps us in bondage by convincing us that if we just had a little more, just a little more, just a little more, then we'd be content. But disc discontentment doesn't stop with Amazon, it reaches far into our lives, wreaking havoc on every part of us. And it didn't start with our generation. Let me take you on a walk through discontentment in the Old Testament. In Genesis, Eve was not content with the fruit that the garden had to offer. In Exodus, the children of Israel were not content with the miraculous manna and with Moses' leadership. In Leviticus, Nadab and Abihu were not content with God's method of sacrifice, so they brought strange fire. In Numbers, Balaam was not content with God's plan, so he corrected him with a donkey. In Deuteronomy, Israel was not content serving God alone, so they turned to other gods. In Joshua, Achan was not content, so he took God's silver and gold from Jericho. In Judges, Samson was not content with a Jewish wife. In Samuel, Israel was not content and wanted a king, just like all the other nations. In 1 Kings, King Ahab was not content without Naboth's vineyard, so he killed him. In 2 Kings, Hazai was not content that Elijah turned down Naaman's gifts. In Chronicles, Rehoboam was not content with the counsel of the old men, so he turned to the young men. In Esther, King Ahasuerus was not content with the Jews' loyalty, so he exalted Haman. In Job, his three friends were not content with Job's explanation of his circumstances. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon was not content with the greatest riches and wealth and honor ever known by any man. Think about that. If, Sam, if Solomon was the greatest, richest, wealthiest, most honored man in all of history, and he could not find contentment, in fact, he wrote an entire book of the Bible about it. Do we think that we're going to find contentment in our little bit of things? He had a golden footstep. You read that, read that in the Bible. He, had, he put his feet on a block of gold. In Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar was not content without complete obedience from all. So he threw... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, Gomer was not content with the love of her husband. And in the New Testament, the Jews were not content with a humble, lowly, sacrificial servant sent to die for the sins of the world rather than destroy the Romans. I want to share three points with you about discontentment from the Bible. Point number one, discontentment is an evidence of our pride. Number two, discontentment is an indicator of our faith. 
And number three, discontentment always leads to rebellion against God. Point number one, discontentment is an evidence of our pride. Discontentment is an evidence of our pride. Jude 1.16 says, These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouths speak great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. You know, the world is constantly telling us that we deserve this or we deserve that. It's, these messages are all around us. You see them on billboards. It's on your phone. It's, it's everywhere. You deserve it. Get what you deserve. And it's just feeding our pride. It's, trying, it's feeding our pride. And this is nothing less than the devil stoking our pride to make us think that this world can fill our emptiness. He knows that we want to look good in men's eyes. We want to be important. We want to feel accepted. So we say to ourselves, yeah, I deserve that. I worked hard. I'm a good person. And so pride is lifted up within us. We look at others who have more than we do, and, and we throw a pity party. Anyone done that? I have. <laughs> After all, I'm a better guy than him. I go to church. And so discontentment gets a stronghold in our lives. And the more we fill that discontentment with worldly things, the more discontented we become. It's like a mirage in the desert. You see it, you continue walking, and it never gets any closer. It's always just out of reach. Do you find yourself frustrated by your circumstances in life, feeling like you deserve better? Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death. So discontentment feeds our, is, is, is fed by our pride. Discontentment is also an indicator of our faith. Point number two, discontentment is an indicator of our faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith in the Christian releases control to the one who controls all things. Because we trust that he loves us, he always keeps his promises, and he works all things together for our good and for his glory. But we like to think that we're in control. And it's that mindset that fosters this continual discontentment within us. God is always in control. He created us. It's really just a matter of whether I'm, going, I'm willing to recognize that or I'm going to continue to deceive myself into thinking that I can take control. But it doesn't take long for our circumstances to creep in and we realize that we're really not in control. <clears throat> Cars break down, houses fall apart, children don't obey, <laughs> um, health issues come up. All these things are reminders to us that we're really not in control. What are you placing your faith in? Government? The bank? I hope not. The doctor, saw a lot of that during COVID. The pastor, the church. Our faith belongs in God alone. It was the early 1800s and his parents were the owners of a little pub in London, England. 
They were not religious people. In fact, they taught him nothing of God or even God's existence. They wanted their son to learn a trade, to be successful in this life. So Edward honored his parents' wishes and learned to build cabinets. But at age 15, somehow Edward Mote found himself at a preaching service. And after hearing a message by John Hyatt, he was gloriously saved. While still a new believer, he was compelled to try his hand at hymn writing. He wrote from a basic yet profound understanding of his salvation. Later that same week, he visited a married couple with the wife battling a sickness in bed. Without a hymnal handy to lead them in a song of worship, Edward produced a folded piece of paper upon which he had worked out four verses and a chorus. Together they sang the hymn for the first time, which is now known as My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. Twenty years later, as a Baptist minister, Edward Mote was instrumental in securing a building for his congregation. As a show of thanks, the church offered to put the deed in his name, but he refused, saying, I don't want the chapel. I only want the pulpit, and when I cease to preach Christ, turn me out of that too. <laughs> Edward Mote understood the profound simplicity of what remains secure, his faith, and what will always be slipping away, the things of this world. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frain, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Such a sweet song. Number three, discontentment always leads to rebellion against God. Discontentment always leads to rebellion against God. We like to downplay our sin. Brother Marcos was sharing some thoughts on this, I believe, two weeks ago. And we don't think of discontentment as a big sin, I'm afraid. But we would think of rebellion against God as a big sin, wouldn't we? Well, discontentment always leads to rebellion against God. Isaiah records the greatest rebellion of all, the rebellion of Lucifer in heaven. In Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend unto heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation, the sides of the north. I will ascend the heights of the clouds, I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Ultimately, our discontentment is aimed at God. Ultimately, our discontentment is aimed at God. That's why a completely godless atheist can still blame God when things go wrong. You ever think about that? <laughs> In fact, atheism is the ultimate end of a life of full-blown discontentment that lays all of man's ills at God's feet, then proceeds in full rebellion against God to deny His very existence. But we too, as human beings, have this nature that likes to take all of the credit when things go right and give God all the blame when things go wrong, don't we? But perhaps the most destructive form of discontentment today is rebellion against the very body that God gave you. And this takes the form of eating disorders, plastic surgery, even gender transition surgeries today. Abigail, Schre Abigail Schreier writes, Young people are under the strong influence of social media that advocate specific ways of life and suggest dubious solutions to most teenage problems like insecurity, anxiety, 
or distorted body image. Many of these solutions lead to body dysmorphia, eating disorders, and transgenderism. Like a virus. That's how one girl described her transgender identity in a social media post, like a virus. The girl swapped pro-anorexia sites for trans community websites and decided to change her life. Together with four of her closest friends, she resorted to breast binding and switching from diet pills to testosterone. But she never became happy with this life-changing decision, nor did any of her friends. You see, they're stuck in their bedrooms with their smartphones, looking for ways of feeling insecure, dissatisfied with their body. And these trans activists through social media are quick to suggest you're probably not a girl. And if you somehow don't feel comfortable, thus rapid onset gender dysphoria spreads like a virus, mainly through social media networks and peer groups. Jude 17 through 23 says, but beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last times who would walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, not having the spirit. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Keeping yourselves in the love of God and looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those two phrases jumped out at me. Keeping yourselves in the love of God and looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the love and mercy of God flow through us to our beautiful children who were created in the image of God and for His glory. We must remember that. We must remember that. Every child, every teenager, every person out there was created by God in His image and for His glory. So how do we deal with discontentment? I would submit three ways, just quickly. Number one, contentment is a learning process. So I said, I'm 40 years in the learning and still not there for sure. Contentment comes through service, number two. And number three, contentment requires faith and patience. First, contentment is a learning process. In Philippians 4.11, Paul said that he learned to be content. And we can take encouragement from this word, learned because it tells us that Paul was not always content. The Bible says that he learned to be content. So the question is that if Paul learned contentment, then who taught him? Well, he answers this in verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Perhaps no verse in all the Bible is more taken out of context than this verse. I just told my Sunday school class that. And some of our richest athletes use this verse, at least without the Christ part, to affirm their basketball skills, to gain more accolade, to get more money. Irony. In context, this verse teaches us that we can be content in the midst of hunger, suffering, and the greatest need by the never-ending strength that only comes through Christ. Number two, contentment comes through service. Contentment comes through service. First, let me say something. I think as a young man, I used to think that people who were content were just lazy. And contentment is not apathy. 
I think that's a misnomer by maybe some young people. If you're a go-getter, you might think, well, he's content. Well, he, he's lazy. Why doesn't he go get more? Why doesn't he go do more? Apathy is, is, is completely different from contentment. True contentment leads to service of others, not apathy. Serving self leads to apathy and a very discontented life. I've found that the greatest joy comes through contentment from service. People who are busy about the things of God are content. People who are busy about the things of self are discontent. There's no greater contentment than going beyond ourselves and serving others only for the glory of Jesus. So contentment is a learning process. That's an encouragement to us. Paul had to learn contentment. That should be an encouragement to us. Contentment comes through service. And we can all serve. And number three, contentment requires faith and patience. Faith and patience. If there's a motto of our generation, it may well be instant gratification. But this kind of insatiable appetite to please the flesh and to have it all now stands in complete opposition to the work of faith in the Christian life. The Christian life begins with faith, continues by faith, and culminates in victory because of faith. Romans 1.17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The Christian life is faith to faith from beginning to end and everything in between. And faith says, I don't have to be in control. That's a struggle, isn't it? Faith says, I don't have to be in control. Faith says, my God is 100% trustworthy. Faith says, my God shall supply all my needs. And faith says, I will not allow my circumstances to control my contentment. That's the hardest one of all. I saved that one for last. <laughs> I will not allow my circumstances to control my contentment. But along with faith comes that most difficult virtue, patience. This is something few people pray for and even fewer people have learned. But no virtue is of greater importance if we are to become content in our Christian life than patience. Romans 8.28 says, But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. But until then, till that day, may we live with hearts that are completely contented, resting in the plan that God has worked out for each of us, he has a specific plan for every one of us. And may we experience that great gain that he promised through a life of contentment. 1 Timothy 6.6 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these few short words that I could share my heart with, with our church family today. And... Um, Father, I pray that you would just help us to be a contented people. Father, when discontentment rises up in our lives, I pray that uh, we'd run to you, we'd release control, know that you do all things well, you're always trustworthy, and you have our best in your glory in mind. And I just thank you for the work you're doing in each of us in this church, Father. 
help us. We live in America. We live in a place where stuff is pushed in our face, where um, worldliness and the lust of this world is just all around us, Father. Let us keep our eyes on you. Let us remember that we'll take none of it with us, Father, and that uh, we would just live for your honor and for your glory. In Christ's precious name I pray. Amen.